delicious This day and age To read any good news On the newspaper page The love and tradition Of the grand design Some people say It's even harder to find Well then there must be Some magic clue Inside these dead walls all I see Is a tower of dreams Real love person out of every scene We're gonna fill our house with happiness We're gonna smother the fools with tenderness There's room for you, room for me For gentle hearts and opportunity It's a bigger love for the Well, welcome back to our series, Family Matters, and happy Father's Day to all the dads that are out there. I don't think we celebrate dads enough. So if there is a dad in your life, would you reach out to him today and just say thanks for being a dad and playing that really important role as a father figure? And I know on a day like today with Father's Day, for some of you, that's a hard day because you're missing dad today. And if that's true for you, I pray that you'd take a few minutes to just reflect on the legacy of your own father. And there are others who just don't even know what to do with a day like Father's Day. And the reason you don't know what to do with a day like Father's Day is because for you, dad was absent growing up. Or maybe you had a really difficult and strained relationship with your father. And if that's true for you, what I want to say to you on this Father's Day is that God says about himself that he is our good and our heavenly father. In fact, that's true for all of us. If we've said yes to Jesus and we're part of the family of God, God is our heavenly father. And all throughout scripture, we see some examples about how God fathers us. And one of the ways that God describes how he fathers his children is through the concept of discipline. Which right away, when we hear that, we start to get a little nervous. At least I start to get a little nervous when I think about discipline. But here's something that I have found as I've been researching all about family and thinking about family matters for this series. I have come across a troubling truth. And this is our big idea for today. And here it is. It's that discipline is needed for families to thrive. That discipline is actually needed in order for our families to thrive, both our own families as well as the family of God. And I say that that's a troubling truth because here's the reality. I don't like discipline. And not only do I not like discipline, I don't like to receive it. And I kind of don't even like to give it. And a part of the reason for that is I just, I, I misunderstand oftentimes what discipline is. Discipline actually is a form of training. But so often in my life, I, I go about it the wrong way. Far too often in my life, I use discipline not as a form of training, but actually as a form of power or a form of punishment. 
So let me kind of give you a, a hypothetical example here. Let's say that maybe I was at work a little bit later than I should have been, and I'm coming home, and I'm tired, and I'm really hungry. And my family is tired after a long day, and they're hungry too. And so my wife and I start making dinner in the kitchen, and it's taking longer than it should, and our kids are running around the house, and they're kind of at each other, and they start getting the dog involved, and the dog starts barking, and one kid throws something at another kid, and it knocks something over in the living room, and that's happening while the water's boiling over onto the stove and the oven's beeping and somebody is sending me a text message from church about a problem that they're asking me to solve. And it's in that moment that I respond with wisdom and kindness and generosity to nobody, right? I, I lose it. And I kind of yell at my kids and snap and say, hey, go to your room. And what I'm doing there is I'm trying to exert power. I feel like I'm out of control and I'm trying to use discipline, not as a form of training or really correction, but just as a form of kind of a power play. Or really, if I'm honest, I'm doing that as a form of punishment. I'm trying to punish my kids for making me feel like I'm out of control, but that's not their fault. See, far too often we misunderstand what discipline is all about. So to before we can understand why we need it in our families, we need to take a step back and understand what really even is discipline from the perspective of God. So two weekends ago, when we started this message, we spent a lot of time talking about our families and how our family is actually a reflection of God's family, which is the church. This weekend, we're going to go the other way around. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about God and how God fathers us and that is going to give us some really practical guidance for how we can then train and discipline and disciple other people in our life, people within our own family and people within the church, people within the family of God. So to do that, we need to look at a passage of scripture that is all about how God fathers us through discipline. And that passage of scripture is found in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up or turn it on and turn it to Hebrews chapter 12. I'll have some verses here on our beautiful tube TV. And uh, as you are turning there, let me just say this about uh, Hebrews. Hebrews uh, was written by somebody who we, we're not entirely sure who the author is, but it was written to a group of people that were going through a hardship and a real time of suffering. And chapter 12 is all about the role that God plays in the midst of that. So we're going to dive right into the passage, starting in verse five. Here's what it says. The author of Hebrews says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And for me, this passage of scripture, the verse or the, the word that just jumps out in that passage to me is the word encouragement. Because when I read this in the context of, of, of discipline, I have to tell you, I don't think that's really that encouraging. Like if you were to tell me, hey, Kyle, uh, I have an encouraging word for you. And then you follow that up by saying, God's about ready to discipline you. I would say that's not an encouragement to me. And again, that's because we misunderstand what discipline's all about. So what this passage of scripture is teaching us is that discipline that comes from God is actually a sign of his love for us. And for us, we think, well, what does that mean? I don't know if I understand how that's a sign of God's love. So to understand how this all works, we need to take a big step back and say, what do we know to be true about God? 
And let's reflect for a moment on the nature and the character of God. And there's two specific elements that we need to focus on. The first is that scripture tells us that God is love. In fact, everything that God does in his nature is loving. Now, when we say love, oftentimes we think about love as, as a form of accommodation or, or a form of being nice, that, that however you want to behave is totally fine and I'm just going to accept and, and whatever you say goes and that's a form of love. That's not really love. That's not at all how the Bible describes love. Love, according to God, is described this way, that love is a series of intentional actions that are always for the good of the other person. Love is a series of intentional actions that are always for the good of the other person, especially at the expense of ourselves. And what does scripture tell us? How has God demonstrated his love for us? It says that while we were still sinners, while you and I were against God, when we were enemies of God, that is when Christ died for us. So see, God takes intentional actions, even at the expense of himself, that are always for our good. So if we believe that God is love, that means that whenever God is acting, it's always for our good. So hang on to that thought. Now, the second thing about God is that God is just. We have a God that is a God of justice. And justice is all about taking something that's wrong and making it right. So it's the idea that if something's out of alignment, God's going to bring it back into alignment. He's going to adjust it. He's going to correct it. So you put those two thoughts together, you kind of have this image of, of like a chiropractor who's going to take a, a, something that's out of joint and bring it back into alignment, or, or, or maybe a, an orthopedic surgeon that's going to realign a bone. And you put those two things together and you say, God is always acting in a way where he's going to align us with himself for our good. So that's what discipline's really all about. It's God aligning us to himself for our good. Now, when we're out of alignment, that often means it's not for our good. So let me give you an example of that. Uh, several months ago, I was training for a long distance race and I was putting on just a tremendous amount of miles. And because I was running so many miles, I backed off and stopped doing any other form of training. Now, the problem with that is my leg muscles aren't perfectly balanced. In fact, I found that they're out of balance. And when I stopped doing that training, the imbalance became even more significant. I was out of alignment. And because of all those miles, it caused me to develop an overuse injury on my hip. I, I think it's a stress fracture. And I have not been able to run for over two months. See, a slight misalignment actually caused great damage to me. And what I needed is I actually needed more training, more discipline, to help bring me back into alignment to prevent that injury from occurring. So how does God help to provide that form of discipline into our lives? Well, the passage of scripture goes on to explain that in verse seven. Here's what it says. It says, endure hardship as discipline. And I have to tell you, for me, this thought has transformed my perspective on going through hard times. I don't know what it might be like for you. Let me tell you what it's like for me. I, I guess we're probably pretty similar. When I'm going through a hard time, I have a tendency to complain to God about it. And not only to complain to God about it, I have a tendency to think that God is against me because I'm going through a difficult time. So I'll, I'll cry out to God. I'll say, God, why are you doing this? Why are you upset with me? What have I done to offend you? Why are you so far away? Why are you allowing me to go through this hardship? But this passage of scripture has taught me that actually it's not that God's against me 
And that's the reason I'm going through a hardship. It's actually, get, get this, it's actually that God is for me. And he's allowing me to go through a hardship because he's training me, because he's preparing me, because he's developing me for something in the future. He's bringing me back into alignment with him so that I can be able to move forward into the future in a new and a better way. And and that has given me such great hope. So I just want to say this, if you're going through a hardship right now, it's something that you may have never chosen for yourself. You, you, You may have never wanted to go through that. But let me just say this, God is doing something within that hardship that is for your good. And Hebrews tells us to endure it, hang in there because God's for you. He's not against you. And that's what this passage of scripture is going on to say. It's saying that God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? So what is it about hardship that actually is productive for us? Well, to understand that, we just need to go back a couple verses to how chapter 12 opens because the author of Hebrews tells us. It says this in Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, just contextually, he had been uh, unpacking, or the author had been unpacking in verse 11 or chapter 11, all the heroes of the faith. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. See what hardship does, unlike other seasons in our life, is it reveals to us things that are tripping us up. It reveals to us weight. Maybe maybe it's not even sin, but just unnecessary burdens that we are carrying that are preventing us from being able to move into the future that God has for us. And those hardship can reveal that. Uh, Recently, I was talking with a gentleman who's a business leader, and he's been going through a really challenging season in his business career. And he's told me, he said, Kyle, I would never have wanted to go through this season, and I hope I never go through it again. But in the midst of this season, what I've realized is that my sense of identity has all been rooted in my success in business and not in my relationship with God. And he said, because of this hardship, it's causing me to think differently about who I am at my core and that I'm actually a child of God. And I I love hearing that because that's what hardship can do for us, is it disciplines us to be more aligned with our heavenly father. So, God is a God of discipline. So what's that mean for us practically? Well, it means a couple things. The first thing it means is that we need to be people of discipline. Now, what I mean by that is we need to be people who are willing to put ourselves into relationships and environments where we are being disciplined, where we're being trained, where we're accountable to somebody else. Now, I think that's something that is just not normal or natural for us. We don't actively seek out relationships where we're going to be held accountable by somebody else. Now, maybe a few of us will be willing to do that when it comes to a work environment. Often we do that when it comes to hobbies or a sports team. We'll place ourselves under someone else's accountability. But very rarely do people choose to place themselves under the accountability of somebody else when it comes to their spiritual life. Because we believe this myth that our spiritual life is private and personal and not something that we should share. But as family members of God, that's not the case. The family members of God, we value the discipline that God offers to us. And so we choose to place ourselves under the accountability of somebody else who can help us grow in our faith relationship with God. And here at Wooddale, I have been so encouraged by a group of men 
who have chosen to do just that. It's a group of guys that got together and they said, you know what, in order for us to get rid of the sin that's tripping us up and the unnecessary weight that we've been carrying, we are going to choose to place ourselves in accountability to one another so we can be the spiritual leaders into the future. It's a group of guys called Men of the Kingdom. And it was started by somebody from Wooddale Church by the name of Dean, a very humble leader. And I want to share with you just a little snapshot of what Men in the Kingdom is all about. Because guys, this weekend, I want to challenge you. This may be your next step to be able to step into this type of a relationship so you can continue to grow and deepen in your faith. So let's check out what Men of the Kingdom is all about. The Holy Spirit lives a life that is active and it's imbued in every man and every woman. So, so often people really take their faith and it's a quiet and it's a personal faith. But if we look out across society, wherever the least and the lost is getting taken advantage of, it's when the church hasn't stood up. Edmund Burke said, evil advances when good men do nothing. And so men of the kingdom really try to provoke men unto godliness and moral leadership and really to stand up and live their life of authentic Christianity 24-7 wherever they go, they're called to be a leader. And Men of the Kingdom's there to help encourage, equip them, and really inspire them to take that, that call of Christ seriously. Well, one of the key aspects of Men of the Kingdom is it's not just a Bible study to gain knowledge, and then you go to the next Bible study to gain knowledge, and you kind of rinse and repeat different knowledge cycles. Every group, or every person that goes through Men of the Kingdom is challenged to look at their life completely different, a life on mission. People who go through the Men of the Kingdom also have to have a project. So we're gonna pour into you, there's no cost to you. They do one of two things in their project. They either attack evil or they promote the good. So what I have seen, I've seen some amazing projects come out of Men of the Kingdom. Uh, a couple guys didn't really know what to do for a project, and they said, you know what, we're just gonna cook pancakes and we're gonna open God's word. We'll see who shows up. Well, that's what Boys Brecky had begun. And Boys Brecky now has had over 100 guys that have gone through uh, the Saturday morning breakfast feast of pancakes and eggs. And then it's just a bunch of guys digging into God's word. So many people have just been introduced to a Bible study through that process. Men of the Kingdom is not a 12-week study to join. It's a movement, it's a call to action to step up and be moral leaders and see the advancement of God's kingdom in our time. God talks about in Ezekiel where he's gonna bring new shepherds into the church. Well, I'm seeing those new shepherds and it's just been the joy of my life to come alongside them, encourage them and just give them a vision of what's possible. Because once you go on a mission with Christ, your whole life changes. I just love what Men of the Kingdom is all about. And uh, ladies, I don't want to leave you out of this because there are uh, other groups here at Wooddale Church that are similar, where you can be under the accountability and with the support of other women who are going to come alongside you to help you grow. So whether you're a man or a woman, here's your next steps. Uh, more information on Men of the Kingdom can be found at wooddale.org men. And ladies, all sorts of groups are available at wooddale.org 
women. But this is an opportunity for us to choose to place ourselves in these relationships where we can be discipled and trained by others to continue to grow in our faith relationship with Jesus. Now, not only do we need to be people who are uh, of discipline, but we also need to make sure that our families are places where discipline happens. So that's the second application point we have here for today, is that our families need to be places of discipline. So with that, I, I want to address this uh, first by talking to all the students. So if you are a student, and especially if you're still living at home right now, that there's actually a role that you can play in receiving a form of discipline that God's created within the family structure. And it actually is one of the Ten Commandments. And two weekends ago, I promised that we would come back to this idea and explore it more fully. So here we go. Uh, this comes to us from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, 16, recounts this for us. It says this, this is one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago, I said, hey, what's up with that promise that, that's attached to this commandment about living long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you? Does that mean that if you follow God, this commandment and you honor your father and mother, that you're guaranteed to live a long, full life? And then anybody who's died young didn't do this? Is that what that's saying? No, that is not what that passage of scripture is saying. To understand this, we need to understand the context in which this was given. The commandments were given to the people of Israel as they were about ready to go into the promised land. This was land that God had set aside just for them. And God knew that as soon as they went into that land, they would face incredible amounts of temptation. And the temptation would be to trust in themselves and not to trust in God and his provision. And he said, if that happens, you're not going to follow me anymore. You're not going to trust me. And I'm going to allow these other nations to come and overrun you as a nation, and you're going to be removed from the land. And if you want to stay there, then continue to follow me. So the system that God set up was he said, okay, parents, you're going to teach your kids about how to follow the Lord. And kids, you're going to honor your father and mother as they teach you to follow me. And if you do that, then generation after generation will be faithful to me and you'll be able to stay in the land. So the command that was given is actually the first test of fidelity to that next generation. God was saying, listen, if you can honor your father and mother, that's going to prepare you well to be able to honor me. But the second thing, and this principle is still true to this day. It was a challenge to that next generation to say, if you want to be spiritual leaders, the way you do it is you start by honoring your parents. And I want to give that challenge to all of our students. If you want to be a spiritual leader in this generation, where you start is by showing honor to your father and your mother. Now, I want to give just a quick timeout to this discussion because we can't talk about honoring our father and mother without addressing a couple of specific situations. So I want to say this, if you are in a situation right now in your home, where your mom and your dad are being abusive toward you. It is not honoring to keep that a secret and to lie to cover up what's happening in your home. It's actually the most honoring thing to your parents to tell the truth and to let someone know. Because God has never designed the family to be a place of harm. It's supposed to be a place of safety and of healing. 
And that's what God wants for you. And that's what we want for you. And so by telling someone, it allows you to get the help that you need and it allows your family to get the help that they need. And if you're not sure who to talk to, I want to encourage you, talk to one of our pastors. You're always welcome to call us during the week here at the church or uh, at any one of our campus locations. Come see one of the pastors and let them know what's going on so we can be helpful to you. That is actually the most honoring thing to do. And listen, if you grew up in a home where abuse was prevalent, that was part of your story, uh, you may struggle with, well, how do I honor my parents now as an adult? And a couple things come to mind. It's appropriate for you to have healthy, safe boundaries with your parents. That's actually honoring to establish those boundaries. And also it's honoring to properly deal with the past. Honoring your parents doesn't mean pretending like the past hurts didn't happen. Now, often that can be a challenging and a complicated process, but here's what you can do. You can start by talking to a Christian counselor, someone who's Christ-based. They're going to give you godly wisdom and advice. Or again, talk to one of our pastors. We would love to walk that journey with you. But honoring does not mean allowing harm to continue. All right, now that just needed to be said. And so I felt it was really important to take a few moments to address that. But as we think about how our families, we kind of call time back in here to our message, how our families can be places of discipline, this is something that is extending not only to parents and to grandparents, but really all of us, because God has called each and every one of us to help train and disciple and grow other believers. That's what the family of God is all about. In fact, Jesus himself told us this. He said, teach new believers everything that I have to obey, everything I've commanded you. So Jesus gave that instruction to the church that we're supposed to help develop and grow other people. So uh, whether that's your kids or your grandkids, or maybe it's a roommate of yours, or it's an employee in the office, or it's just a friend, maybe somebody from your sports team who you're trying to help them grow and develop in their own faith, we can look to the example of how God fathers and disciplines us, and then we can take those same principles and do the same. So I want to give you three really practical ways that God disciplines us. And then I want to share a parable that Jesus tells about how we see those principles in action. So here's the first principle that we see about how God treats us as our father. The first is this, that when we are to train and, and discipline other people, we need to give love as a fuel, not a reward for obedience. And what I mean by that is that we, we show love to our kids or the person that we're trying to train, and then they choose to be obedient to us or, or follow or be obedient to Jesus, not because they, we don't love them because they've been obedient, but, but we, we show love to them and that gives them the fuel and the motivation to be obedient. Scripture tells us this, it's that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. Right? God doesn't come to us and says, All right, if you play by the rules and you do what I'm asking you to do, then I'll give my love to you. No, no, God gives us his love first. And that causes us to want to follow after him. So we need to do the same. Folks, it's a temptation, especially for me parenting my kids, to sometimes give a cold shoulder to them when they're not obedient to me. That's not biblical and that's not how God treats us. That's not how we should treat others. Hey, here's the second principle. It's this, it's that we are to protect from harm but not from hard. Again, our, our homes are to be a places where, where, where they're safe environments. The same is true in the church. And so we want to allow our kids or the person that we're, we're discipling or helping to grow to experience hardship. That's actually a good thing. We, we saw that in uh, verse 7 of Hebrews 12. But we want to make sure that they stay out of harm's way. 
And so we need wisdom to know, hey, is, is this person going to be in a harmful environment that I need to rescue them from or protect them from? But we need to not be too quick to pull our kids especially out of hardship because oftentimes it's through that hardship that they are going to grow the most. And then here's the third and the final principle that we're going to look at. We need to embrace first, correct second, but always do both. And I know some family systems where you have two parents that are involved and one parent is like, I'm, I'm the embrace parent and the other parent's like, I'm the correct parent. And uh, they kind of, you know, it's like, it's like the two of them kind of play different roles. That's not what we're called to do. And sometimes in my own life, my temptation is to correct first and then embrace second. But come on, if you've ever been in a situation like that where that's happened to you, you know it does not feel good. That embrace doesn't feel genuine. But what God does is he embraces us first. He corrects us second. But don't miss this. He always does both. So what's an example of how God has lived this out or how this is displayed for us? Well, Jesus tells this story. And the story goes like this. There was once a man who had two sons. And the younger son comes to his dad and he says, Dad, I wish you were dead. In fact, I'm going to pretend as if you are dead. I want my share of the inheritance. And then I'm going to act like you're dead because I'm going to sell the land out from under you. You can't farm on it any longer. And that's what happens. The, the younger son, the father gives him the inheritance and that's how the younger son behaves. And he takes the money and then he leaves town. And in that culture, you didn't leave the village and you never left your father's household while he was still living. It was deeply offensive, not only to the family, but to the entire community. And worse yet, that younger son took the money and went away to a foreign place. And it was there he squandered his father's money. He wasted it. And as soon as the money ran out, so did all of his friends. And he found himself trying desperately to find work, eventually feeding pigs which as a Jewish man would have been deeply offensive and the lowest of the low. And it was there amongst the pigs that he said, you know, the employees in my father's household have it better than I do. So maybe I can go back and I can become an employee for my dad. And maybe, just maybe, I'll be able to work off my debt and my father will finally forgive me. And so he starts the long journey home. But when he was a long way off, the father saw his younger son coming and the father ran out to meet and embrace his son. And his son started the rehearsed speech. He said, dad, I, I have failed you and I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. And the father doesn't even want to hear it. He, he says enough of this. And he just takes his robe and he puts it over his son and he puts sandals on his feet and ring on his finger, which were symbols, not of a household employee, but of a member of the family, a son, someone who is an heir to the family estate. And he welcomes home the son. In fact, they have a celebration for him, a party where everybody is invited. And it's in that embrace that we see these principles lived out. See, the father didn't go to that younger son and say to him, okay, well, you know, you've kind of mistreated and you proved that you weren't trustworthy. So I tell you what, if you show me that you can actually behave, then I'll give you the sandals and the ring and we'll welcome you back into the family. Nor did he look to the younger son and say, all right, I'll give this to you, but it's on the condition that you have to behave and one mess up and I'm taking it away. He didn't do that. He said, I'm going to use my love for you as a fuel for your future obedience, not as a reward for it. And I love the image that the father gave of running after his son. 
And I love the image of that because it was actually when the son was coming back into the village that he was most at risk. See, see, the father allowed him to go through the hardship of running out of money and all of his friends leaving him and then having to be in that pigsty. He allowed him to experience the hardship. He didn't go and save him from those hard things that he experienced. It was the consequence of his actions. But where he did save him and did protect him was when he was walking back into the village. See, in the culture of the day, that's when that younger son would have been most at risk. Because everybody else in the community would have remembered how he mistreated the community and they would have been out to get him. But the father runs to him first as if to say, this is how we are going to handle this. And we're going to handle it with mercy and grace and forgiveness. But not everybody celebrated. During the party that the father was having for that younger son, the older son refused to come in. He stood outside, arms crossed, and he publicly rebuked his dad by saying, this is not how we should be treating that younger son. And the father didn't publicly correct or embarrass his older son. Instead, he went out and he embraced him first. And he said to him in a very gracious way, my son, everything I have is yours. You've always been with me. He embraced him first but he corrected him second because he said, the brother of yours who was once lost has now been found. And in this family, we celebrate the one who returns. See, he embraced first, but he corrected second, always doing both. I, I can't promise you that if you discipline like God, that those stories are always going to work out where the son or the child always returns home. But you know what I can promise you? Is I can promise you that the way in which God treats us is how we are called as members of his family to treat other people. God is a God of discipline. He wants to bring alignment into our lives for our good. And so we need to be seeking out environments where that's happening to us and we need to be offering it to other people. Because here's the truth. All discipline, all training, all discipleship, discipleship, ultimately what all those things do is they point us and they're intended to bring us safely home into the arms of our heavenly Father.